Uh, we talked about the power of the church. I'm going to skip over all that stuff, and we're on the back page of your outline, church discipline, the purposes of church discipline. Now, here's the thing. Just kind of before we get into the lesson. We have here a church. Sometimes people do things in the church that bring dishonor to God, bring dishonor to the church, bring harm to the body of Christ. How are we supposed to deal with that? That's the question of church discipline. And the, the main points to keep in mind, of course, the main thing in the whole Bible is God. And the first main point to keep in mind is how can God's honor be protected through the process of church discipline? But that's the first great commandment, love the Lord your God. The second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. How can the person who is experiencing discipline be loved and cared for, and how can this be used in a way that's redemptive, that's helpful, that shows love toward the person being disciplined, and patience again and again. So those are the two main things. How, how can church discipline be carried out so it protects God's honor and the reputation of the church, which reflects on God, and reflects love for the person involved as well. So we'll start the, uh, start the outline then with this. The purposes of church discipline. First, uh, with regard to the person being disciplined, restoration and reconciliation of the believer who is going astray. That's what we want to happen. And over the course of many years in a number of different churches, I've seen church discipline happen, and I've seen it happen in a number of times when um, the person was brought back and was there was reconciliation. I remember back the church we were in Illinois, there was uh, um, someone who came before the church, a, a young adult, a, a man who had uh, done some harm to the church and God worked uh, a work in his life. He came back and read a statement of, of apology before the church. It was actually a strange thing. It was uh, it, it was a case of arson, where um, I, I don't go into the details, but um, uh, he was he was had a position of responsibility, but through a bizarre set of circumstances, he was trying to do harm to the church, and it was found out. And and but he, he but he came and re there was rec restoration, there was reconciliation, and that was the that's the goal, and that happens. And I know I can think of one or two cases now where through church discipline marriages were restored and they were put back together and they're still and they're still doing well and so that is that is what should happen now um, it's similar to a wise parent disciplining his or her child proverbs 13:24 whoever spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him so the lord through the body of christ sometimes treats us as children whom he disciplines Hebrews 12.6, the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So the Lord's goal in this, even though it is painful at the moment, is for our good. It's to, to restore us uh, to walking in a way that is honoring to the Lord. So such restoration should be done with genuine love. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So there's showing love and care for the person who is subject to church discipline. James 5.20, if anyone brings back someone from the error of his ways, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. God works through the fellowship of believers to bring someone back often 
from, from going astray. And even excommunication, that is, kicking somebody out from the fellowship of the church, it's the extreme uh, final step in church discipline. Even that should be done with the hope of eventual repentance. Um, so 1 Timothy 1.20, Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus and saying, by rejecting, uh, by rejecting conscience, clear conscience, uh, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Handed over to Satan, I mean, I think means putting them outside the fellowship of the church, so they're in the realm of the, of the enemy, realm of the devil, uh, instead of the, the fellowship of the church, which is among God's people, Paul has handed them over to Satan. Why? So that they may be condemned to hell forever? No, so that they may learn not to blaspheme, so that they may be from the from the uh, being excluded from the, the fellowship of the church, taking this so seriously, they may change their behavior and come back, uh, hopefully, into the fellowship of the church. And so that restoration of the believer going astray, or the person going astray, should be done with genuine uh, love and hope for eventual repentance. There's another goal in church... Oh, wait a second. This isn't on the outline, but this is really, 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 really important. Often the most effective kind of church discipline can be started and ended with a brief private word from one person to another. And this is where it affects all of us. Um, and I can't say this without thinking of Daryl Del Hussein. He is so good at this. Just a little tiny word, like I'm with him in Washington, D.C., and I start to go across against the light. And, and, and Daryl, just a big smile, says, that every soul will be subject to the governing authorities. <laughs> and I say, Daryl, look, all these other people are going across the street there, jaywalking. He says, you shall not follow, follow a multitude to do evil. <laughs> and, you know, he's just good at that. It just comes out of his mouth without even a fourth. So, um, I don't know. But why is it so easy to take? Because you know he loves you. Isn't it? And and that's just, that's just the, the way... And, and if we, if we can sometimes cultivate that, there's um, church discipline doesn't ever have to get to more than a little, one little quick word or a brief comment from one person to another, done in love and done in a spirit of gentleness and done in a spirit of humility, and, and oftentimes the situation is solved. And so it, it can function just invisibly. So, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among, among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Admonish you, just a little word. Or 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, rebuke <clears throat> and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Hmm. And I, actually, I was reading this morning in Proverbs. One rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding. Proverbs 17, around verse 10, I'm not sure. One rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a thousand blows into a fool. So just sometimes one, one little tiny, even just a, a raised eyebrow or a hmm, you know, just like that. It's, it's just enough to give a gentle nudge to someone. Titus 1.13 um, Paul talking about Cretans being liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. There's more serious misbehavior. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the face. So 
There Paul's telling Titus to be a little more direct and blunt. And James 5, 19 to 20, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. Again, that looks like in ordinary cases, it's just a one-to-one -one kind of thing. Now that can happen um, in many different ways. Do you, before I go on, talk to me about this a little bit. What, how does that strike you? Do you, can you? Does that happen to you in a good way? Or are there dangers with it? Dale, you've got a whole treasure of treasure trove of of knowledge and background in this. You got any comment to make here? Think about young man that was on the staff when I was. Think about young man that was on staff when I was uh, in Fresno filling in church there, and uh, he would use some pretty rough language in staff meetings. Yep. And it would shock the older people. Because yep. he's just a different generation. So I put my arm around him one day and said, you know, we really love you, but your uh, language kind of shocks the other people. And that's all I said, and then he cleaned it up. Perfect. Just It took two seconds, three seconds, four seconds, just really quick. He's always working on me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Margie. Uh, I wasn't going to go there, actually. <laughs> marriage gets really sensitive. All right, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to get into that. Okay. Thanks, Dale, and thanks, Margie. Okay, any other thought? What's the danger with this? What's the danger? You can, oh, danger of losing friendship. Yeah, that's possible. It's another danger. Neville? Yeah, okay, just a second. It, it could escalate with a... Uh, um, an individual who has an unrepentant or a, uh, a spirit that will not come under righteous authority. Okay, it could be, it could be that. And, uh, and what did you say here? Yeah, somebody could just become offended and become, you know, kind of be alienated from the fellowship, Brian? Oh, you're better off not saying anything than trying to discipline a fool. Yeah, because some you get, we get three comments in the same direction. Sometimes people won't take it. All right, Bob, uh, Ben. Sometimes the danger of trying to play someone else's Holy Spirit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Stepping in when we're not wanted. Yep. Uh, see, we can make mistakes in this, and that was what I was kind of having in mind that we can mm, become crit. There can become a critical spirit in a fellowship or a church where everybody's kind of criticizing everybody and it's not really from the Lord and it really makes a church intolerable to be in. And so I want to say there's a positive here because we don't, we don't want to just live like the world lives and we want a friend to come alongside us and say your language is kind of shocking everybody else. But but we don't want a condemnatory, accusatory attitude in a church. Now, let me say about Scottsdale Bible Church, that is not the attitude in Scottsdale Bible Church. Scottsdale Bible Church is a welcoming, caring, affirming group of people. And I'm thankful for that. And the fact that you don't even think about that being a danger means it kind of isn't your normal experience, but it can be. So, so I want to say, so, so now here's the question. It always comes up. How do I know when I should say to my friend, your language is kind of shocking people, or 
something like that. Or when you're five minutes late for meetings, it kind of puts everybody else out, you know, it's kind of, or that kind of thing. Just, just a little word like, how do I know when I should say that or when I shouldn't? My, my primary answer is pray for the Lord's direction to know, because we don't know. It may be something the person is already aware of and already working on and already in a conviction about, and you don't want to just pile on. Or it may be something the person is just blind to and didn't realize that he or she was doing it. And so we need to, when it works best is when a whole group of people, whether a class like this or a church, is walking close to the Lord and sensitive to the Lord's guidance and then and then really acting in love toward one another and that this is an expression of it. Okay, And people know if you love them or if you're just trying to be critical of them. They, they sense it instantly. Ruth, you're nodding yes. Yeah. You want to say anything? Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go on. One purpose is, uh, to, is to you know, bring about change in people's lives, restoration and reconciliation of the person who's going astray. But another purpose of church discipline is to keep the sin <clears throat> from spreading to others. Hebrews 12:15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It wasn't too long ago I heard someone talking about a church in another state to me and asking some counsel, and, uh, and, and he, he said, there really is a root of bitterness that has come, that has grown up because of this situation that wasn't resolved rightly. And it had to do with parents and children and somebody else's children, and it, would just, it just spread, and, it, 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 and, it, and the church was decimated as a result of it. It was what dropped to under half of its previous attendance. Because of the, so, so that sin, if it's not dealt with, <clears throat> and it starts to affect others, it can, it can spread and just become a, a, a root there that just festers and, and harms the fellowship. Uh, Chantelle, I'm seeing nods, uh, and um, Susan, I'm seeing nods. You're, you're remembering some things that have happened, maybe in past experiences. And so, <clears throat> and so we, we have to guard against that, and if that begins to happen, and in a class or a church or something, leadership sees that this is happening, the sin has to be dealt with, so that doesn't happen. Now, in 1 Corinthians 5, 2, and 6 to 7, a man was living in incest. The church hadn't done anything about it. Paul said, you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Your boasting is not good. You not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It spreads through the whole lump of dough. And it's going to poison the whole fellowship. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a really a new lump, for you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And uh, 1 Timothy 5.20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, that the rest may stand in fear. That has to do with church leadership, but not, not to kind of let things go and be swept under the rug, but say uh, to someone, this, this has been wrong, and we, we will not uh, tolerate it in this fellowship of the church. Uh, lest others begin to imitate the wrongdoing and do wrong. We had a church situation, I mentioned before, we had a situation, a very hard situation of church discipline with a couple who had been in the church for a number of years, and um, there, there, was, there was difficulty in the marriage, but there was more on the, the, the decisive difficulty has come because of actions on the part of the husband. And the church, ultimately, a church I was in previously where I was an elder, took disciplinary action against him with great reluctance and great sorrow, and the church voted one night at a church meeting with about 140 people, maybe 110, I don't know, something in that vicinity. Church at a church business meeting it was presented with a letter from the elders saying, "So and so, we are aware of this. You've met with the pastor. You've met with the pastor and another elder or two a number of times, and you've not, you've been, you've been refusing to 
to, to make your marriage right. And with great reluctance, we're asking you now to leave the fellowship of the church. But we do it with love for you and with the hope that you will eventually come back. And you know what I thought when I was sitting back in the congregation when this was going on and the church was doing this with great seriousness and, and care for their brother but, 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 and great sadness, but with the sense that it was right. What I thought was the impact on the teenagers who were there at that church meeting is very significant because the church was saying, though in the world husbands can leave their wives and run off with no consequence, it will not happen here. We are taking a stand for the permanence of marriage and the purity of marriage, and we're taking a stand to protect the honor of this wife who has been left by her husband. And for those young people in the church who had not yet married, who are just married, it was saying to them, we're different from the world. We uphold standards of purity here, and we expect these to be carried out. And when they're not, we will ultimately take steps to restore the marriage, but if it will not be restored, then we're going to take steps to publicly say you are no longer a member of this body. You're no longer a member of the body of Christ. And it keeps the sin then from spreading to others. But I remember another situation, Church Margaret and I were in a long time ago, where at a Sunday evening service, a husband and wife stood up and said, we're having really serious difficulties in our marriage. We need your help. And the pastor said, well, we'll pray for you, and did nothing. And the marriage broke up. And, and that was just saying, well, we'll just be like the world, and we can't do anything. So that was the mistake. And the sin then, see what that was saying to others in the church, were saying, well, we don't have a higher standard of marriage than the world. We're just going to let things go on. So it's important to keep the sins from spreading to others as well. And then C, to protect the purity of the church and the honor of Christ. <clears throat> Um, Paul was writing about uh, um, Jewish people who had rejected Christ and who had carried on uh, a manner of conduct that was dishonoring to God. He said, that, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Quotes that from Isaiah 52.5. Or uh, 1 Corinthians 5.1-2, Paul says, oh, you've, got a man, you've, got, you've got a man living with his, with his uh, father's wife. He's living in incest. This isn't even done among the Gentiles. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? That is... The church is being spoken badly of among the unbelievers because of this man's sin. Everybody knows about it. And Christ is being dishonored. And so 2 Peter 3.14, Beloved, since you are waiting for, these, <clears throat> for um, the Lord's return, a world in which righteousness dwells, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Another verse that comes to mind to my mind, often, with regard to this, with regard to allowing false teaching to be promulgated within the church, in the letters to the seven churches <clears throat> in Revelation, Paul, uh, John uh, writes uh, the words of the risen Lord Jesus to this church in Revelation 2.20, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food offered to idols. They had someone teaching false doctrine in the church, and they tolerated it. And Jesus says, I have this against you. He's holding them responsible. He's going to withdraw blessing and eventually come in judgment to that church because they were tolerating something that they should not have tolerated. So discipline has to be carried out for the sake of the person doing wrong, 
That was point A. Point B, to keep the sin from spreading to others and making a thing like, like we don't care what happens. And C, to protect the purity of the church and the honor of Christ. If, in fact, the church does not exercise discipline, often the Lord Jesus will do it himself. And so 1 Corinthians 11.29 <clears throat> the Corinthians were abusing the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> there was no reverence there. They were some some were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Some were bringing food, not sharing with others who didn't have any. And Paul says, uh, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. The Lord Jesus invisibly began to exercise discipline on the church because they had not taken care of it themselves. Um, Revelation 2.15, uh, you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. In other words, another kind of false teaching that hadn't been disciplined. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And Revelation 2.5, if not, <clears throat> if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. <clears throat> that is, take the Lord's blessing, probably the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, away from the church. I remember a long time ago, another case where I, I, I just in conversation, sometimes you hear things. Um, well, I would never go to that church because I work with so-and-so and he goes to that church. And I happen to know that situation. And I happen to know that so-and-so only went to that church occasionally, but it was a small enough church that, that uh, it was known that he went there. And by discipline that, now that, boy, I'm getting into another question because just occasional visitors, we don't have much leverage over. But in some way, when someone is going to the church but being um, obnoxious, selfish, dishonest, bad-tempered, hateful, whatever, and it's known in the workplace, well, that that again brings disrepute on the church and it brings disrepute on the gospel. And so uh, this point C, to protect the purity of the church and the honor of Christ. Well, now you say, well, wait a minute. Well, what, what sins uh, should people be disciplined for in church discipline? Well, um, <clears throat> there are two general categories. One is where there's case of personal sin against another person that can't be resolved privately. Matthew 18, 15 to 17, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he refuses to listen, or if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's, that's the first step. Uh, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So there's a second step. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, then it'll be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, that is, somebody outside the fellowship of believers. So there are four steps, alone with one or two others, and then the church, and then excommunication or kicking out of the fellowship of the church. It doesn't say between, it doesn't say between one or two others and the church. It doesn't say an intermediate group such as the elders, but I think that Jesus is just outlining the general steps without perhaps specifying all of the steps in between. And um, in all the churches where I'm aware of this, in order to tell it to the church, it has to go first through the officers of the church who try to resolve it, whether it's elders or deacons or church board, whatever kind of church government it is. And I think that's consistent with this passage. 
Um, but that's where a personal sin against uh, another person can't be resolved privately. Um, maybe a business dispute, maybe someone has wronged someone else in some other way. But B, there are many other kinds of different examples of sin in the New Testament. Romans 16, 17, Titus 3, 10, divisiveness. Someone's dis- uh, disciplined for divisiveness. And uh, I remember going with the pastor of a church one time to talk to someone who kept standing up in the middle of the service and disrupting it. And going with him and meeting with this fellow at his apartment and saying, well, we are asking you as a church not to come and disrupt the service anymore. And uh, if you have questions you want to ask, you can ask one of the elders afterward, but not during the service. And we, we met with him and said, you know, we, 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 we're happy to have you come to the church, but you can't disrupt it. We're trying to protect the whole. And uh, he never came back again. All right, well, that's one. But it, but it protected uh, the, the church against that divisiveness that was coming in. Um, another one was incest. It talked about that in 1 Corinthians 5. One. Another one, first, or 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 10, laziness and refusing to work, just depending on everybody else. That's where that passage where Paul is telling the Thessalonians, if anyone will not work, let him not eat, etc. We hear some among you are doing this. Uh, another one is uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 to 16, disobeying what Paul tells the church to do. Another one, 1 Timothy 1, 20, blasphemy. And another one is 2 John 10 to 11, teaching heretical doctrine. Well, what's the common ground in all this? It seems to me the principle is all these sins, which were subject to church discipline in the New Testament, were publicly known, outwardly evident sins. Everybody knew that this, these people were refusing to work and just taking handouts from the church. Everybody knew that the people were decisive, divisive and, and these other ones. They were publicly known. Many sins continued over a period of time. Reproach was being brought in the church and Christ was being dishonored and others would be encouraged to follow wrongful patterns. So something had to be done to protect the good of the whole. How should church discipline be carried out then? There we go. Um, it seems to me from that principle that Jesus establishes in Matthew 18, go by yourself first, and then take one or two others, and then to the church. It seems that the principle is knowledge of the sin should be kept to the smallest group possible for, for, for uh, proper resolution. You don't just go blabbing around. The, blabbing, is that a good word? Uh, about something that's been done, go deal with it, it, it or something, somebody else. Go deal with it, this person uh, first uh, by yourself. And maybe it'll be resolved. And then you haven't harmed the other person's reputation wrongfully. And you haven't caused uh, the... just Once stuff starts spreading throughout more and more people, it becomes harder to put the, uh, put the pieces back together again. However, some sins are publicly known already and should be dealt with publicly. And in Galatians 2, where Peter withdrew and he wouldn't eat with Gentile Christians anymore, he was over in this special area just eating with Jewish, Christ, Jewish Christians, and it was public and everybody knew it. So Paul, in front of everybody, stood up and said to Peter, how can you, how can you do this? You're, you're, you, uh, and, and rebuked him in Galatians 2 publicly for a public sin that had been followed by everybody else or seen by everybody else. And uh, so that seems to me a little bit of a different situation. Disciplinary measures should increase in strength until there is a solution. By yourself, one or two others, tell it to the church. And um, if refuses to listen to the church, then you publicly dismiss the person from the church. And I put here, elders would ordinarily be involved before going to the church. 
Um, now, there's something that's very serious about this, and that is that um, Jesus' presence is behind the decisions made by the church. Just after this tell-it-to-the-church passage in Matthew 18, the next verses, Jesus says, verses 19 to 20, Jesus says, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, uh, there am I among them. I think Jesus is saying when this process is carried out, he'll be present to, to uh, give spiritual power to the disciplinary process if it's carried out rightly. And Paul says when you are uh, assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, 1 Corinthians 5.4. Um, so, so there's a, a spiritual enforcing uh, work. Um, there are some verses that are a little bit hard to understand about not even fellowshipping with someone. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5.11, I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. I think that means don't give public endorsement. It uh, doesn't mean you can't ever talk with someone privately or anything like that. It means don't kind of publicly go out to dinner, hey, friend, how are you doing, even though you're, pu you're publicly promoting false teaching or, or, or other kinds of sin within the church. It's not giving approval of the disobedience. Okay, and then... Um, a special situation is discipline of church leaders. I'm just kind of watching my time. I think we're okay here. Discipline of church leaders. It looks to me as if um, there's another set of principles involved here. And that is people who are such as elders in a church who have been entrusted with leadership, spiritual leadership in the church, and then they've committed some serious sin and they need to be disciplined. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, 19 to 21, First of all, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So just you don't just listen to a, a, an accusation by one person. But then, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Whoa. I think that means if someone is removed from the eldership of the church, Paul is saying the person should be brought before the church and, and the, and, and the uh, leadership of the church say, um, I'll make up a name here, Pete. I don't think there's any Pete here. Pete, well, uh, let me make a strange name. Um, Abel. I don't think there's anybody Abel. Abel, um, the church trusted you as a leader. And you've embezzled money from the church treasury. And you've broken the trust that the church placed in you. And for that reason, we're asking you to step down from the eldership of the church. Or you've committed adultery and brought reproach on the church. And you've betrayed the trust that the church gave you. That's rebuke them in the presence of all. Now, you can imagine that Timothy would say, whoa, that is a hard command. These, are my, these guys are my friends. These elders are the guys I've been working with the closest. And so the next verse, Paul says, in the presence of God, 
and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. I charge you, I command you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. In other words, even if it's your best friend, Timothy, you have to do this. Why? Why do you do this? Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. I think for two reasons. If an elder board does this, number one, it says to the church, <clears throat> we as the elders became aware of this, and it was a betrayal of the trust you placed in Abel. And with great sadness, we're telling you why Abel's being dismissed from the fellowship of the church. In order that you will know that we are not sweeping things under the rug. We're not trying to cover up for one of ours. You publicly gave this trust to him. We're publicly removing it from him. <clears throat> How much do you say? How much do you say about what had been done wrong? Enough. You don't have to go into all the details, but enough so that the congregation as a whole can get behind the disciplinary process and think it's right. And enough so that the congregation, if it later finds out more details, will not feel that it had been misled or that things had been untruthful. That the rest may stand in fear. If that happens to Abel, then how are the elder, rest of the elders going to feel? <laughs> yeah, Cheryl. Sherry. That is, it's... Um, it's a, it's a warning that that's a, sol, that's a solemn, serious trust that has been given to have leadership in the church. Now, I, I, I mean, this does sound kind of foreign to our culture today, doesn't it? And, but it's the word of God. I mean, I, I'm not making it up. The verse is right there. And rebuke them in the presence of all. I can't see any way around that saying in front of the church. In fact, I was part of a church where this happened at one time. And um, Trent, can we turn the uh, tape recording off for a moment? <laughs> tape recorder back on. So, so there's, uh, that's a special situation with discipline of church leaders. Um, let's see. As soon as genuine repentance has occurred, the person should be quickly welcomed back. 2 Corinthians 2, 7-8, you can look at that. Galatians 6, 1, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Um, and right at the end, two other comments, and then we'll be done. It's unwise in church discipline to set any timetable in advance for how it will be finished. Different situations will be different in how they work out. I don't think people in that situation I mentioned should have said, well, 90 days and it'll be over. We don't know what a person's heart's going to be. We don't know when repentance is going to come and when there's going to be restoration. And granting forgiveness is different from restoring trust. Trust is built slowly over time and can be shattered quickly and take a long time to rebuild. Um, leadership is trusting someone with leadership. And, and you can lose that so fast. And even though you forgive the person, that doesn't mean you trust the person with leadership again. It's going to be very, very slowly. Um, so I know another situation where a pastor had been, associate pastor had been disciplined. They gave him nothing to do for the first several months, and then they let him greet people at the door for another few months, and just and then usher, and just you know just gradually, gradually, gradually. So 
any questions or interaction on that? I, I'm kind of hurrying because I, I, I wanted to finish this week on this. Let's see if we can take one or two others and then and we'll go. Jason has a great sermon this morning, Jason Fisher. So, okay, anything else? Right about the end. Well, what if next week I say just at the beginning, have you processed this and thought about this a little bit, and do you, do you want to come back and talk about it? I let's do that. Let's let's pray. Oh, one over. Well, just take really quick, Phil. I'm going kind of. If you go back to uh, bullet point, or excuse me, outline point two. Yeah. About the uh, different kinds. Of, well, anyway, it has to go with teaching of heretical doctrine. Um, would seem what, what what is the measuring rod for heretical doctrine? For example, I could think some bodies of Christ teach infant baptism where others yeah. don't. Yeah. Some other bodies of churches believe that you can lose your salvation and yeah. some don't. Yeah. So what what rises to the level of of churches? Um, Oh, uh, there are a whole lot of factors that enter in, to, but it has to be really, really seriously wrong, and it has to be really clearly wrong, and contrary to sort of the general accepted doctrine within the broad fellowship of believers around the world, I think. So I, I can't go into it anymore right now, because I, I just say it's a great question, but it's a hard question to decide too quickly right now. So. Okay, look, let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll come back next week and talk about church government. Okay. Lord Jesus, well, we, we thank you, Lord, that you have not left your church without guidance and without help for maintaining a, a measure of purity and public uh, sense of honor of, of you and uh, a sense of holiness that's expected and required of those who take your name and align with your people. And Lord, I don't, I don't know how this will apply to different situations in different people's lives here, but would you grant us wisdom that these things could be, could be understood? And Lord, in small ways, that in love, uh, you would help us to encourage and strengthen and build up one another. Um, and uh, that you would help us if ever anything else comes to light that needs to be disciplined, that this would be done in a way that honors you and is faithful to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.